Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past. Welcome to Snazzy Stories. If you would like to keep storytelling alive, please go to patreon.com slash snazzy stories and donate to my storytelling adventure. Also subscribe to Snazzy Stories on Spotify and iTunes and many other podcast apps or go to snazzystories.com. Today's story is about pioneer Christmases in the Western Territories, specifically Southern Utah. In many Western towns, the pioneers attended church, offered prayers, and gave thanks on Christmas. The pioneer people would use any resources they had to decorate for the special holiday. Often they would use evergreens, nuts, berries, holly, and pine cones as their prime decorations for their homes. Sometimes Christmas trees were even decorated inside their homes with yarn, ribbon, popcorn strands, paper, and homemade decorations such as gingerbread men or dolls made out of straw or yarn. However, in households that struggled more than others during the wintertime, decorating a tree could not be wasted when firewood was hard to come by, and some pioneers' homes were actually just too small to fit a Christmas tree inside of it. However, most all homes would recognize Christmas Day with a feast. They opened presents and enjoyed delicious dishes of food. Even in the more remote places of the West, Christmas was still observed with as big a meal as they could muster. Venison was often the meat that was available in the West, so that was featured at their Christmas Day dinner. Although the mountain men would often eat porcupine meat on Christmas. But whatever the meal was on Christmas Day, one could usually find families and friends enjoying their feast together and singing Christmas carols on Christmas Eve. The people of Parker County, Texas, celebrated their Christmas in a blacksmith shop with a dirt floor. According to Mary Green, who lived there in the 1880s, she recalled, quote, The first Christmas in their new home came, and the only place that they could hold a public celebration was a blacksmith shop, which boasted a dirt floor. There were few children to be remembered. However, ginger cookies, homemade dollies, and other toys were provided, unquote. As far as gifts were concerned, they again used the resources they had available to them to make homemade gifts to give to their loved ones. Some of these gifts included knitted scarves, socks, hats, carved wooden toys, pillows, or embroidered hankies. If it had been a successful year, the kids may find candy, cookies, small gifts, or oranges in their hung stockings. On one particular Christmas in St. George, Utah, some children received oranges in their stockings, which was quite a big deal considering that the term orange was not really in these children's vocabulary. They had never seen, smelled, or tasted an orange before. They had read about them or seen pictures of them in books in school, but had never handled one. Until, on Christmas, three families in St. George, the Woolies, Lunds, and Judds, had been doing very well with their mercantile and shipping company. The men of these families were determined to get an orange for each of the kids in their families and place it in their stocking for them to find on Christmas morning. With their connections to Salt Lake City, they were able to procure two crates of oranges. Luckily, just before Christmas, they arrived in Silver Reef, a mining town that was 13 miles northwest of St. George. When the kids peered into the stockings on Christmas morning, they viewed a foreign sight. 
the orange. They were shown how to peel it and break it into slices. As the children skipped through the town going to their friend's house to see what Santa had left them, they were able to touch, smell, and some best friends were even given a taste of the delicacy that was left in their stocking. One girl was given a piece of the orange peel to put in her hope chest as an absolutely cherished gift. The next year in St. George, no child's Christmas was complete without a wish for an orange in their stocking. Some children in the Lund and Judd families made it a competition to see who could make their orange last the longest. Children would hide pieces of their orange away and bring it out later to prove that they had made it last longer. Oftentimes those pieces were dried out, brittle, and even dusty. But looking back on those dried, dusty orange pieces, those family members remembered them as the best pieces of fruit that they had ever eaten. Another story about making sure the children in the community had something good to eat on Christmas morning occurred in Orderville, Utah. This comes from the history of the Spencer family. Quote, One December evening, some of the sisters of Orderville met to plan a Christmas treat for the children. The order had no luxuries and the necessities rationed. About the only sweets the people had was molasses. So the sisters decided to make molasses candy and cookies for the youngsters. But on Christmas Eve, they came to Grandmother Spencer, wife of Howard Orson Spencer, bishop and leader in Orderville, with the news that the brother in charge of the molasses won't let us have any. He says our allowance for the month is already used. Grandmother's lips tightened. The children are going to have something for Christmas. I'll speak to my husband after dinner. He'll give us permission. When her husband came in tired and hungry, Sister Spencer hovered over her husband and after dinner urged him to rest by the fire. As he sat looking drowsily into the flames, she said in a low voice, You do think the children should have some candy and cookies for Christmas, don't you, Howard? Um, was the sleepy response. And Grandmother went away smiling. She reported to the ladies that everything was all right. My husband has given us permission. Did he say we could have the molasses? asked one doubting woman. He didn't say no, replied Sister Spencer truthfully. Now we won't wake up the brother in charge of the molasses. We'll just slip out and take what we need. The man in charge of the molasses barrel was very conscious of his responsibility. On the lid of the barrel, he had placed a section of heavy logging chain and a large boulder. Only a thin wooden partition at the head of the bed separated him from the barrel outside, and he was a light sleeper. Shivering from the cold, the women crunched through the snow toward the barrel. It was beginning to snow again, and the night was very dark. With infinite caution, they removed the heavy chain without so much as one betraying clank. It took the combined efforts of all of the women to lower the boulder noiselessly to the ground. There was a breathless pause as Sister Spencer raised the lid and dipped into the barrel with a saucepan. She emptied its contents into a bucket and dipped again and again. We have enough now, whispered one of the women. Let's go back. With the same caution, the chain and boulder were replaced and the women filed back to the warm kitchen to make the Christmas goodies. But there was a dismayed gasp when they looked into the pail. Oh dear, we haven't enough molasses. We'll have to go get some more. Oh no, Sister Spencer, it's cold and dark. It's too risky. Well, just the same. We must unless we want the children to be disappointed. 
There could only be one answer to such a statement, and the little band of mothers went again to the molasses barrel. They returned safely and set to work. When morning came, every child in Orderville had two molasses cookies and one big, slightly sticky lump of candy in his or her stocking. Santa Claus had not forgotten them. Grandfather insisted all of his life that he could not remember ever having given the women permission to get the molasses, unquote. Christmas was celebrated in any way available to all pioneers in the Western territories. Pioneers were also very fond of dancing. This experience comes from the Christian Olson family from Leverican, Utah. Quote, One night when I was 16 years old, father gave a Christmas party for his own children and their families and the nearest neighbors. We danced. My brothers were the musicians. We knew it was father's aim to end the party at 10 o'clock, which he did right in the middle of a square dance by ordering the musicians to stop. But father didn't know that my brothers had lifted me up to the clock many times that night. Each time I turned it back 30 minutes. It must have been past midnight when the party broke up. Unquote. Pioneers were very good at using what they had at their disposal to make an occasion special. Such was the Dixie Salad of Utah's Dixie during the holiday season. St. George, Utah was nicknamed Dixie on account of the hot weather and that Brigham Young sent members of his congregation to southern Utah to grow cotton. About 20 years after the Mormon members were sent to St. George to settle, life became a little bit easier. They had food and homes, and they wanted to make a good life for themselves. The women in the community began meeting in a club to try and stay up to date on the world as much as possible while they were living in the dry desert. They pooled their money together to get a subscription to a ladies' magazine, which gave them many ideas for their social life in Desolate Dixie. They read the recipes in each issue, hoping they could make a delectable dish someday. The Western territories were sorely lacking in such ingredients in these recipes. Although one recipe was a possibility, the salad, which the Eastern women had adopted from the people of France. On Christmas, the ladies decided to try the salad as the dessert and highlight of their holiday feast. This particular salad recipe called for lettuce, but they had no good lettuce available to them. Therefore, they decided not to use lettuce in their salad, but to make do with what they had. Whipped cream was called for in this recipe along with sugar and vanilla, which they did have. The rest of the salad was supposed to be as many fruits as one had, of all colors, to make it, quote, a feast for the eyes as well as the stomach, unquote. The recipe called for nuts, almonds, and pecans. But all they had was walnuts, so they put those in, and apples. And then to bring some beauty to their part of the world, they threw in some pomegranates. This salad was a big hit and became the talk of the town. Ever since, what became known as Dixie Salad is featured at holiday feasts in southern Utah. Christmas traditions don't seem to be complete without Santa Claus, hung stockings, greeting cards, decorating the Christmas tree, a big feast, and gift giving. Those traditions have been instilled in us through the generations of people who have come before us. Many generations back to the pioneer people of the West found Christmas a time to celebrate, even if they did not have the grand gestures that are often associated with a modern Christmas. An old pioneer Christmas has a simplicity about it that I have always admired. 
Maybe that is why I love what one would call the country Christmas decor. And I wish I lived in a cabin-style home, with modern conveniences, of course, like running water and indoor plumbing. I don't so much want to be a pioneer, but I enjoy the idea of the simplicity of their life, but not the harshness of it. And I think that their celebrations had a sweetness that has been lost to our modern Christmas culture. The West during Christmas time brought about a harshness with freezing temperatures and snowstorms and lack of abundance in some cases. However, these people observed Christmas with the resources available to them, and they seemed to be entirely happy to celebrate with each other. Even if we may think that their celebrations were minimal, it led to a joyous occasion in their homes. Thank you for listening to Snazzy Stories. Come back again where everyone has a story. Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past.